today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. In the Gospels, in Luke's account, it's noted, very interesting, that when the devil tempted Jesus, 40 days and 40 nights, he's fasting and praying and very weak. And that's when the enemy attacks. He'll always attack when you're down, when you're vulnerable, when you're weak, when you're tired, when you're fatigued, when you're hungry, when your defenses are down. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Nehemiah. Our health is important to us, not just because we need to be healthy in order to best serve God, but also to be able to stand guard against the attacks of the enemy. First, Pastor J.D. teaches us Satan attacks when we are weary. He doesn't attack once and leave us alone, but is constantly vigilant for a time of weakness in our lives. Therefore, we should pursue a healthy life both physically and spiritually. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Nehemiah chapter 5 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. What a strong leader. What a good leader. What an effective leader. It's important to understand that what Nehemiah does here would have taken a lot of boldness. And the reason I say that is because these men that he's rebuking, they're the noblemen. These are the leaders. These are, if you will, the power brokers. These are very powerful men amongst the Jewish brethren. And here's Nehemiah with a spiritual spine that has the spiritual strength and the boldness to stand up to them and say to them, and nobody talks to them like this, but Nehemiah does. You can't do this. You can't do this. Exact usury from your own brethren. This ought not to be. And by the way, men, (laughs) I'm going to give them money and loan them money to help them out because of what you did to them. And Nehemiah, I guess you could say, is no respecter of persons. And this is what a strong leader needs to be. He's got to be able to rebuke God's people, especially when they're bringing reproach to God's name. I've heard it said this way, and I think this applies to us tonight. And I want you to think about this. Sometimes as Christians, we can be poor advertisements for Christianity. You understand what I mean by that? We really can be bad advertisers and bring reproach upon the name of the Lord by what we do, our actions and the way we treat each other. And by the way, make no mistake about it. This is very serious in the eyes of God. What did Jesus say? They're going to know you're my disciples. How? By how you treat one another, by how you love one another. Remember in 1 Corinthians 11, a very difficult passage of Scripture to teach for me personally, and I think for you as well, to be on the other end of. But the Apostle Paul is describing to the Corinthians 
how that the reason why they were getting sick and some of them were even dying in the Corinthian church was because of how they were treating other Christians, their brethren, concerning the communion table. They were getting drunk at the communion table. They were forming cliques. They were excluding people. You have to understand in that day the dynamic of the communion table and these love feasts that they had where they would have a potluck like we do. You have to understand that sometimes people were so impoverished in that day, that was the only meal that they would ever get to eat was at the love feast during the communion celebration at the church when they assembled together. And here's these rich people that are saying, you can't eat at our table. In fact, you can't eat at all. Paul's like, Why don't you, when you, want to, you want to drink? Go home and get drunk. You want to eat like that? Go home and eat like that. But the way you're treating other Christians is, is causing you, this is why you're sick. This is why you're ill. And this is why some of you are dying. You pose a threat and a danger to the body of Christ. My wife and I were talking about this this last week about how there are just some people who are so dangerous in the way they treat other Christians that God sometimes will just take them home. We'll see them in heaven. But if they pose a threat in the way that they treat their brethren, God takes that very seriously. If we're known by our love one for another as being his disciples, then wouldn't it stand to reason that if we treat each other unlovingly, unkindly, and we're even a danger to them, well then, how do you think God deals with that? This is a very serious matter. And when it comes to this, God's people are not about this. The God of Israel and the people of God are never to be about or have the mindset of every man for himself. And again, this is what was happening there in the Corinthian church. This holy boldness on the part of Nehemiah does to me beg the question of why it is and even how it is that he was able to do this. This is the right thing, but oftentimes the right thing is the hard thing. And to answer that question, I think that we need look no further than to Nehemiah's private life. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Nehemiah was uncompromising. Nehemiah was a man who had never compromised in his own integrity, in his own life before the Lord. See, it's when we compromise in our own lives that we're stripped of that sanctified confidence to rebuke and restore others who have compromised in their own lives. When we get to Galatians chapter 6, which isn't going to be too uh, much longer, when we get to chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, you need to restore your brethren in humility, lest you yourself be tempted. Now there's just something to be said about a man who knows that he's walking in purity and he's walking in integrity. Because see, if I'm compromised in my own life, then I can't, and I have no right to rebuke, let alone restore another brother, because I have that log in my eye, Jesus would say, and I'm rebuking them because they have a speck in theirs. I can't. I have no credibility. I have no authenticity. 
because I've already been compromised in my own life. And Nehemiah was uncompromising in his life. This was a man of God. Make no mistake about it. Nehemiah was a man of God. Verse 14, moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate at the governor's provisions. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people, which is why he wouldn't do that, and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so. Because, and here's why, listen very carefully, because of the fear of God. You know what the fear of the Lord does and causes and is? The Proverbs tells us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, and this is evil, what they were doing. And this is wisdom, what Nehemiah is doing. Indeed, verse 16, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. Could have, but he wouldn't. All my servants were gathered there for the work, and at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared, verse 18, daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowl were prepared for me, and once every ten days an abundance of all kinds of wine. That's kind of costly, isn't it? Yes, it is. That means that Nehemiah had to have the financial means to be able to do that. Did he? Yes, he did. By the way, God had blessed Nehemiah financially. Think about it. First of all, remember when the king said, okay, go. By the way, you better come back. I don't want you gone very long. How long is this going to take? I need you. I can't replace you. I see the the blessing of God on your life. You're the best cupbearer I've ever had. And by the way, I'm pretty sure he made pretty good money doing that. He had access to all of the riches of the king. And the king said, by the way, I'm going to foot the bill for the rebuilding of the wall. And so unlike Ezra, he took everything from the king, even the military escorts to make the trek to Jerusalem for the rebuilding of the wall. And so he's got plenty of financial means, and he's using the financial wealth that God has blessed him with to help out his Jewish brethren who had been burdened by those before him. So, yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. And then verse 19, I want to talk about this. This is what Nehemiah prays, and we have a record of it. He says, remember me, my God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. Oh, well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? What's Nehemiah doing here? God, do you notice how much I'm doing for the people? You know, did you notice how much of my own money I'm using to help the people? God, reward me. Reward me for what I'm doing. Now, you might 
kind of come away with the impression that he's wanting to sort of take credit for all that he had done for God's people. But that is absolutely not the case. When you take a closer look at it, what he's actually doing here is just privately praying to God, and he wants the approval of God. And not only does he want the approval of God, he's seeking only that which he knows God will always reward and bless. The blessing of God is on Nehemiah's life, on Nehemiah's finances, and he's simply saying, and it's very appropriate, what he's saying and praying here, he's just saying, Lord, I'm doing this as unto you. It's for your glory. And I know you're going to reward and bless me as only you can. Now, chapter (laughs) 6 takes a uh, turn, you might say. Now it happened when Senbalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, got to watch out for them Arabs, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, Though we're told parenthetically at the time, Nehemiah had not yet hung the doors in the gates, that verse 2, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. (laughs) But they thought to do me harm. You'll forgive my play on words here, but... I think this plain of Ono is appropriately named. (laughs) You never want to go to a place called Ono. Ono. (laughs) Ono is a no-no, if you will. To me, and here it is again, this is textbook when it comes to the strategy of the enemy. He's always about attacking the leader as he does here, or at least attempts to do here with Nehemiah. This is textbook because if the enemy can succeed at smiting the shepherd, he can scatter the sheep. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 26, verse 31. He says, all of you, this is on the night that he's going to be now arrested and put on trial before he's taken and put on the cross. He says, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now, this is interesting because one of the things that made Nehemiah such a great and godly leader is that he possessed keen spiritual discernment. And what he's discerning here is that this is an assassination attempt on his life. He knows what's going on here. Listen, Nehemiah is no fool. Now, this place called Oh No, Oh No, No, (laughs) it's a day's travel from Jerusalem, and it's also a very dangerous place to go anyway. Why do I point that out? Because this is what the enemy always tries to do with us. He always tries to get us out of where God wants us 
and into that perilous place that, oh no, if you will, because he knows that if he can get us to oh no, that he can destroy us. See, he always wants to get us away from where God has us to that perilous place because he knows if he can get us to that perilous place, we're on his turf. We're in his territory. We're in that arena and he's also got us by ourselves. Don't you find it interesting that they want to meet with him alone in Ono? (laughs) I mean, you kind of put two and two together and you can kind of figure it out. Verse three, so I sent messengers to them. I love this about Nehemiah. Um, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Oh, interesting. If Nehemiah goes to Ono, He's got a day's travel one way, another day back. That's, of course, if he makes it back from Ono, because they want to kill him in Ono. And by the way, while he's gone, the work's got to stop. Nehemiah's the leader, and they know that, and he's not going to do that. Now verse 4 is really interesting because it says, but they sent me this message four times. Very persistent. Know this about the enemy. He is very tenacious. He is very persistent. He is relentless. He doesn't give up easily. He'll keep coming back. He can resist the devil and he will flee, but he'll be back. In the Gospels, in Luke's account, it's noted, very interesting, that when the devil tempted Jesus, 40 days and 40 nights, he's fasting and praying and very weak. And that's when the enemy attacks. He'll always attack when you're down, when you're vulnerable, when you're weak, when you're tired, when you're fatigued, when you're hungry when your defenses are down. And when he didn't succeed, we're told that the devil left him only to wait for another opportunity to come back. Never imagine for a moment that the enemy will ever leave you alone. Four times. And I answered them in the same manner. No, 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 I will not go to oh no (laughs) with you. Then, verse 5, Sanballat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time. Oh, but this time with an open letter in his hand. Not a sealed letter, an open letter. I've received a few of these letters. In it was written, verse 6, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Stop right there. This is classic. Everybody's saying 
And they're all coming to me and they're telling me that you, (laughs) that it is reported. Listen, uh, I've gotten letters like this and they start off. And by the way, if I get a letter and it's not signed and it goes into the rubbish. It reminds me of a story. I think I shared this once that I forget who it was. I think it might have been Moody. Maybe not. Anyway, someone gave him a letter, and it's on the pulpit before he's going to preach, and there's only one word on it, and it's not signed. And the word on the letter is fool. And this takes a lot of wit. And so Moody says, oh, this is interesting. I've, I've got a letter here, and I've never received a letter where it just had the name of the one who sent it. <laughs> I mean, I've usually gotten letters, and they don't put their name on it, but apparently um, this letter is just, it just bears the name of the uh, sender, and it just has fool on it. I think that's pretty appropriate. Anyway, I digress. Where were we here? You always know it's the enemy when it's like everybody's saying, they're all coming to me about you. In it was written, verse 6, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, well, that's what they are. They're rumors. You are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. Wow. And verse 7, you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. Ooh, I'm trembling. <laughs> so come, therefore, and let us consult together. Then I sent to him, saying, I love this about Nehemiah. No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. Translate it. (laughs) Get out of my face. I don't have time for this. Go away. The book of Nehemiah introduces us to a biblical character who wasn't a priest. In fact, he held no great spiritual title at all. Nehemiah was just an ordinary man who God used to do something extraordinary. God still does this today. You don't have to hold an important office or study at seminary to do great things for your Creator. God wants to use every follower to make an impact in the world for His kingdom and has uniquely equipped each of us with the skills we need to do just that. You have a purpose. You can be sure of that. Thanks for listening today to In Spirit and Truth. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen to other teachings by Pastor J.D., visit our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
There's also a link to our special weekend edition of In Spirit and Truth, and Pastor J.D. is here to tell you more about them. Yes, I'd like to invite our In Spirit and Truth listeners to join us for our weekend editions in which I do a Bible prophecy update. We look at current events happening around the world and how they relate to specific prophecies in the Bible. We broadcast these updates each Friday and Saturday, or you can find previous updates on our YouTube channel and You can find the link at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Thanks, Pastor J.D. You can also access the Mideast Prophecy Update and other teachings on our mobile app, as well as learn more about In Spirit and Truth. Find a link to download at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Thanks for joining us today. Pastor J.D. will continue teaching through Nehemiah next time on In Spirit and Truth.